Uh, that's some wonderful singing. Thank you for that. Open, please, to the book of Jude. To the book of Jude. Just before the book of Revelation, one chapter in this epistle, the book of Jude. And I'd like to read a few verses just to introduce the sermon. Uh, a couple of verses, actually, beginning to verse number three, and then we will have a word of prayer. Uh, Jude chapter one and verse number three, the Bible says here, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. He says in verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm taking the title for my sermon today out of the beginning of verse 4. It says, certain men, they have crept in unawares. Today I want to preach to you about creepy Christians. Creepy Christians. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning. How exciting to have a a Bible open, to have Jesus in our hearts, to know that the Comforter has come and that right now we trust He is going to do that work of guiding us into all truth. Father, I pray that You would fill me with Your Spirit so that Your people can get help. And Lord, protect us from this creepy version of Christianity. Teach us today, please, from the Scripture. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Creepy Christians. The Bible tells us in verse number 3 that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. But the question must be asked then, why? Why is it so important to contend for the faith? Well, it's because the faith will be under attack. Who is going to attack it? Verse 4, they creep in, certain men have crept in unawares. And that's why Jude wrote this short epistle. This one chapter lines up very nicely with 2 Peter chapter 2. I might reference to that every now and again as we go through the sermon, but if you want to take a look at that later on, 2 Peter 2 very much helps you understand the book of Jude and vice versa. We cannot be ignorant of the fact that there are some creepy people in churches. And they are going to attack the faith, but they'll do it subtly. That's why they crept in. And the book of Jude, amongst other reasons, was written, I believe, primarily to brace us, to help us be aware of the fact that these creepy people might be trying to get in, maybe are already in, to bring to our attention that this is a real danger, and then what should we do about it? How do we uh, prevent ourselves from falling into this creepy version of Christianity? So we're going to spend the majority of our time in verses 17 down to the end of the chapter, but just let me familiarize you a little bit with these creepy, and and watch up here, creepy Christians. They're going to call themselves Christians. I do not believe that they're saved, not the way that we read about them here. I do, however, think that there are some people that are saved, and get influenced by these creeps 
and it ends up making you a little bit creepy. And that's what we're trying to avoid. We don't want creepy Christians. So when I say creeps, what are we talking about? Jesus referred to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus is the one who said to beware of false prophets, that they would sneak in as wolves in sheep's clothing. The Apostle Paul likewise warned the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He said, after my departing, there will be some people that try to creep in from the outside. And then he said the next verse, there might be some among you that try to rise up and lead away disciples after themselves. It can get creepy from without. It can get creepy from within. Let me also be quick to say this. When I talk about creepy so-called Christians, I am not targeting any one denomination. Please understand that. There are certain things about these creeps that do tend to fall under one category or the other, but you can have creepy charismatics, you can have creepy Catholics, you can have creepy Methodists, you can have creepy Bible-believing Baptists waving around the King James Bible and singing the old-time hymns. Some of, some of us can get real creepy sometimes. And you can just say amen right there. <laughs> it can get weird no matter which denomination you're in. So I am not targeting, I'm not saying this or that denomination is creepy. I'm just saying people can get creepy. In the passage in which we're looking in this chapter, we saw it in verse number 4. They change they turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness so these folks they will talk about Jesus they will talk about grace they will talk about the gospel they'll talk about the Spirit of God do you remember reading this in 2nd Corinthians 11 he said they, these preachers will come and they'll tell you about another Jesus and another gospel and you could receive another spirit and it says right here that they deny the, the real Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ. They deny Him. Oh, but they're going to talk about Him a whole lot. They'll come in talking about grace, but it's not the grace that you read about in the Bible. They'll put a heavy emphasis on angels. Just read the chapter later. Talk all about how they saw this angel or such and such an angel showed up and said this and that to me. They'll put an emphasis on dreams. Read the chapter I saw this in a dream and that in a dream. Can God speak through a dream? Sure, but you better line it up with your Bible. Because as soon as you come in talking about, I had this dream and I had this dream, I have a dream. As soon as you get into that, you get weird. You can get creepy. Sometimes they'll, and you read this in 2 Peter chapter 2, it says they have eyes full of adultery. These guys will creep in the church and, and they're coming in and they'll talk real sweet, but it is literally just sweet talk. Flattering everybody because they want to get in good with the women. I'm just saying this out loud in case there's any creeps amongst us. You can just creep right back on out. <laughs> Amen. If you came looking for Jesus, we hope you find him. But if you came looking for a wife, creep right back on out. <laughs> Amen. This same bunch, you can see it for yourself as you read through the passage. Verses 10, 11, they despise authority. They despise dominion. They won't let anybody tell them what to do. Who's right? They're right. No one else is right. They're right. The government's not right. The church isn't right. No one's right. Only they have it all figured out. Despising dominion. Thinking they have all the answers. That's creepy. Look with me in verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam 
for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Cori. In the Old Testament, we would say Korah. Jude likens these creepy, creepy Christians to three different men. First, it's Cain. You know what he did. He hated his brother. That's what he was known for. He hated his brother. When his brother was accepted of God and blessed by God, Cain got envious and jealous and upset and irritated at the Lord. He didn't want anybody else to have a blessing that he couldn't have. He could not rejoice with them that did rejoice. He would just get bitter and angry that somebody else had the hand of God on him and it wasn't on them. That's creepy. If you're saved, you should be able to praise the Lord that somebody else is growing and getting closer to God. What about this man, Korah? Oh, forgive me, Balaam. Let's talk about Balaam for a second. Balaam had this plan to mix the people of God with the heathen. Let's just uh, mix and mingle. And you see that happening in churches now where they are bringing the world into the church in an attempt to attract sinners. The way you win them is the way you'll keep them. And if you have to turn to worldly methods to get people into the church, you will keep them in the church with worldly methods. That's the doctrine of Balaam. Let's mix and mingle and make the heathen feel comfortable. I say let's be kind and loving and gentle with the heathen and tell them that they need to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's not compromise what's right just to reach them. That's creepy. That's creepy when you walk into a church and you're not sure if you went into the bar or the church. Amen. When you walk in and you see the stage and it looks exactly like what you might have seen on Saturday night. You need to be able to walk in and know this is a church. This sounds like a church. And when the band strikes up in some places, you don't even know if it's a church yet. <laughs> You're still not sure. That's creepy. That's creepy. We read about Korah. Korah, who, what did he do? He's the one that got up in Moses' face and said, who do you think you are taking authority over us? God didn't call you to lead us. God gave all of us this privilege he didn't want anybody to tell him what to do. He despised dominion. He despised authority. And God just had to open the earth and swallow him up. These are creepy people. So what does it mean to be creepy? I look the word creepy up. I kind of know, I think you already know, when you say the word creepy, you get the picture in your mind, you know. I always think of some guy wearing a trench coat and no shoes. I don't know why, that always comes to my mind. I'm like, dude... What's the trench coat and no shoes all about? I don't get it. It's just creepy. Just weird. I looked it up. Producing a nervous, shivery apprehension. Have you ever got that? You spend some time around somebody and you're walking away thinking, I, man, something's not right there. I can't put my finger on it, but that dude's creepy. He's just creepy. I looked up another definition for it. Annoyingly unpleasant annoyingly unpleasant. People don't want to be around you because you're trying to get on their nerves. And there's a lot of lost and saved people that can be annoyingly unpleasant. You know it's unpleasant, you just keep doing it. Please don't be creepy. Creepy Christians. If you look in verse number 12, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you. Now, now watch this. They will show up to the potluck dinner. They will come to the bring and bry. Church bry, praise dihira. Ex dar. They'll come for that. But look at verse 16. These are murmurers, 
complainers walking after their own lust. You know what they'll do? It's real creepy when they'll show up for the special events because it's, hey, this is something special. But while they're there, the only thing they do is complain and murmur about every little nitpicky thing that they can find going on in the church and in the world and in the country and in their home, everything. Constantly, all you get is, I'm, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of that. That's, that's all you get from them. Complaining and murmuring. You come to the church, you know why you do it here? Because we're Christians and we're patient people and we'll put up with your creepiness. Because we'd like to see you come to Christ and get out of that nonsense. And you end up abusing our patience and gentleness. And after a while, we have to say, listen, creep, there's the door. <laughs> You're scaring us. Please go somewhere else and be creepy there. <laughs> we'll give you a chance to repent and come right while you're here. But we can only put up with so much murmuring and complaining. And if you think that's a bit drastic, I dare you to read the Old Testament. Because if you think we're over, you think I'm a bit dramatic about it, you go read what God did to people that complained in the Old Testament. We don't have a backyard full of snakes ready to bite you and strike you down. Okay, some of you read the Bible, you got that. But others of you, we'll talk about that more in a moment. What, look at it in verse 16. Murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words. Having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. So they'll come to the Feast of Charity, to our times of special fellowship because they're trying to politic their way into a position in the church. They're trying to rub shoulders with just the right guy. And you, you know what they'll do? This is how you can tell those creepy Christians. They'll come up to you and say, hey brother, how are you? Wow, it's so great to see you. I haven't, I haven't seen you in such a long time. Oh, it's so wonderful. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be saved. And they'll start looking around. And you know, they're, they're, they don't want anybody to hear what comes next. Did you hear about so and so? Can you believe the pastor said that? Did you see what the deacon did? Did you see what that sister did? Can you believe? And all of a sudden, the complaining and the murmuring just starts pouring out. But see, you can tell it because they get creepy. They'll come up creepy. Blah. You know what's going to come right after all the complaining and murmuring? They're going to start telling you how great you are. That guy doing that in the church, there's no reason he should have that position, but tell you what, you put me in that position, Absalom, you put me in that position, I could fix it. I could make that right. Mm -hmm. Should we call you Zuma? <laughs> I mean, this is just politics. That's just rhetoric. That's creepy. Come on down to verse 24. Let's read it quickly. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Do you see that word falling? Everybody with me there? Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What kind of joy? Exceeding joy. You ought to be able to come to church. You ought to be able to live your Christian life and enjoy it the right way. I'm not talking about a giddy, silly, foolish way. I'm talking about really enjoying it. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's part of that. Love, joy, peace. God is able to help you with that. Do you see that? But I want you to focus on the word falling. He's able to keep you from falling. Just come a couple pages back to 2 Peter 3 and look quickly here. 2 Peter 3, verse 17. Because in 2 Peter 2, Peter deals with this same issue. False preachers, false prophets, false teachers that creep in. 
And then 2 Peter 3, he tells us how to avoid that. In verse 17, ye therefore beloved, seeing ye know these things before. What is this? God already told us the creeps would be among us. So we brace ourselves. Seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also. Do you see that? He said, I don't want you to get creepy. The creeps will come, but I don't want you to be creepy. Lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, what's the next word? Fall from your own salvation. Is that what it says? He's not worried about you losing your salvation. He's worried about you losing your steadfastness because you took a good stand. And you were standing for the truth and for what's right and contending for the faith. But then some creep got in and began to persuade and convince you that you were something you weren't. And all of a sudden you began to misunderstand the grace of God. And misunderstand what the gospel's about. And misunderstand why we have a church and a church family and how we should function. And things just start getting creepy. So Peter says, I don't want you to be led away with the air of the wicked and fall. God back to Jude, God is able to keep you from falling. Now, we're going to revisit that by the end of the sermon. God is going to do His part to keep us from falling. But brethren, what we're going to talk about for the next several minutes is what we need to do to keep ourselves from becoming creepy, from being confused and overcome by creepy Christianity. So let's look at a few things quickly. Verse number 17. And there's several points here, but I'm not going to spend long on, on any one point. So let's move quickly through verse 17, beginning there. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. So I'm putting these two together. He says, remember ye the words. He's saying, the apostles told you there would be people like this that try to creep into churches. So we should know. We should be on, on the lookout for that. In, when you read this in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says not only to remember the words of the apostles, but also the holy prophets. You know what that is? Old Testament, New Testament. So here's the first thing you can do to prevent creepy Christianity from getting into your heart and into your house. Remember the Word of God. Now this is real simple. None of this is going to be very deep or difficult. You want to avoid a lot of nonsense, just read your Bible every day. You can always tell somebody that hasn't been reading the Bible because things that shouldn't bother them start to bother them. They start to get very frustrated and nitpicky about things that don't matter. When you read the Bible, it keeps you balanced. And the things that are truly important, you recognize those as important and you act on that. And the things that aren't a big deal, you, just from reading the Bible, you can see, okay, God reacted in a big way here and not here. But all of a sudden you get people, you know, they're worried about cutting down too many trees and killing off a spotted owl and... I'm not against the environment, but do you know that, that the environment's not going anywhere? Oh boy. Okay. You know this, right? You read the Bible? Heaven and earth shall pass away. My word shall... It, it, it will pass away, but not now. You're not going to make it pass away. But boy, people get all stirred up. 
about things that aren't that big of a deal. Come to church and so-and-so didn't shake my hand. Show me the verse where it says we need to shake your hand. Now, should we be kind and greet one another? Sure. But, but come on, we're 150 people. We can't shake everybody's hand every Sunday. Amen. You start reading the Bible, you start realizing I'm not the center of attention when I walk in the church. It's okay if not everybody greets me every single Sunday. You start reading the Bible and you start realizing where to put the emphasis so you're not so creepy. Jesus said it it like this, you do err not knowing the Scriptures. What's going to throw you off? What's going to give you that weird balance when, when you spend more time on YouTube and less time in your Bible? When your Christianity comes from bumper stickers and Facebook posts and not from the Bible. You know what's creepy for me? How you can step in a church and somebody can say, I've been saved 20, 30, 40 years and they haven't read the Bible once. That's just weird. That's creepy. That's, something's not right with that. You know what Jesus was fond of saying this? Have you never read Have you not read? Go home and look it up. He used that many times in his ministry. Have you not read? And I think that's a valid question even for today's Christianity. Have you not read? I talk about Korah. I talk about Balaam and Cain. Now listen, if you're new to Christianity, we can be very gracious. We got to give you time to actually open the book and get to reading it. So please understand, we we are fully patient with that. But there, there comes a certain point where if, if you've been in this for a while, you should have already spent some time in that book. And you will be able to spot the guy who's creeping in and perverting the gospel and twisting the grace of God into something it's not meant to be. You'll be able to detect and discern right and wrong using the Bible because you've been reading it every day. And you'll know, wait a minute, that just doesn't ring right. Sometimes somebody will get up to preach and it just doesn't sound like the Bible. You can tell this guy's preaching an opinion or he borrowed this from some other psychology book, but that's not Bible. How are you going to get that? Just remember the words of the apostles, of the holy prophets. Remember those things that Jesus gave. Just read your Bible. That'll prevent you from being creepy. Verse number 19. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So Jude gives us a little more information about these creeps that have come in. They have separated themselves. So here's my second point. First point, read your Bible. Second point, let the Holy Spirit sanctify you. Now now let me flesh this out a little bit. Let the Holy Spirit separate you from the ungodliness around you. You don't need to separate yourself from it. Okay, now let let me, like I said, I want to unpack that a little bit. Because some people, they go about to separate themselves. So they create their own standards, their own version of Christianity, their own idea of holiness and godliness. And you end up putting yourself in a strange category that no one else can attain except you. These folks had separated themselves. Did you know, now forgive me, I want to step into a different category here for a moment. The Greek word behind separate, this is the only time it shows up in the whole Bible. I found that interesting. The King James Bible does a wonderful job of translating it, separate themselves. When you look at that word, it's to be disjoined. Disjoined. 
separate themselves. You know the antithesis of it? It's to be joined together with a body, to be joint, jointly fitted together. You know what these folks would do? Hebrews 10, verse 25. Forsaking the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. Rather than going into the body and joining along, they separated themselves. Now, listen, you should separate from the world under the instruction of the Holy Spirit. Where God tells you to break away from the world, break away. Are we good there? Let the Holy Spirit tell you where to break away. But, But be careful of this. This creepy crowd, they want to separate themselves from other Bible-believing Christians. They get creepy. No church is good enough for them. They're too good for every church. They're going to go into every church and find a reason that they can't keep going to that church. And they, for, for, just for as long as they're alive, will bounce from church to church to church because they can't find something good enough for them. That, that's creepy. There should be a church somewhere that you can join in and participate in the things of God. I found this interesting. When you look at the passage in verse 12, they, they come to the Feast of Charity. They'll come to the, to the potluck, but they won't join the church. I'll just let that sink in for a second. They'll come here and there when it's convenient for them. When they have a chance to do a little bit of politicking, But when it's time to join the church and be a productive member joined in, they separate themselves. Why? Sensual. They're not doing it because they're led by the Spirit. They're doing it because they're led by themselves. Sensual. They have carnal reasons for it. Self-willed is the Bible word for it. They are going to shepherd themselves because no pastor could possibly teach them anything. That's creepy. That's creepy. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 19, if you have the Spirit and you are yielded to the Spirit, you are going to be different from the world. Simply by virtue of walking in the Spirit, you're not going to be doing the things of the flesh, and the Holy Spirit will be separating you from the ungodliness of the world. You don't have to try to be weird. The Holy Spirit is going to make you different in the right way. The Bible tells us that we are to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You know what should set us apart? Not our efforts to be strange and creepy, but our efforts to be yielded to the Holy Spirit and say, God, I want to do as much for you as I can. That should make us different. Verse number 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Building up yourselves. Let's talk about this for a moment. To build yourself up. This is a a, kind of a two-part thing. You need to grow in your faith. Nothing deep about this. You need to grow in your faith. But there's two parts to this. Please hear me on this. One side of it is you need to be fed. You need help in order to grow. All of us do. All of us, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how long you've been saved, you're always supposed to be growing. Is that, is that right? And we all need help to do that. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It would be creepy if the baby knew how to feed itself. Come on now, you've got to give me that one, right? 
Wouldn't that be a little creepy? If that one month old just picked up the bottle and said, Mom, don't eat it. I got it. That'd be just... (laughs) That would be weird. That would be uncomfortable to be around a child like that. It's a little creepy when you meet a Christian. He takes it upon himself, says, I don't need any help. I'm just going to teach myself. And we have a lot of people that have done that nowadays because YouTube becomes their pastor. And, and, And... What's actually happening is you're your own pastor. You're just going to pick and choose whatever you can find on social media to tell you what you want to hear. Build yourselves up. Okay, so you need help to be built up. You need somebody introducing spiritual nutrition from the outside. But then you also have to be willing to do something with what you're learning. You have to avail yourself of what that person is is offering. So... It's the whole bring the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Some stable master has to fill the trough with water and then bring you, the horse, to the water, but that's where you, the horse, have to be willing to drink. That make sense? Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Not just building yourself up on your own personal goals. But here's my faith. That's the basis for my life. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, it says, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. Paul said, take heed how you build upon that foundation. So even today, by the grace of God, I'm trying to build on your foundation. You have the foundation of Jesus Christ as your Savior. We're trying to add to your faith. Now, you can just brush it off. God, uh, he's just getting a bit overboard. Uh, Okay, well, you can push it away, but that's me putting the water in the trough and the horse trotting away. Now, at the same time, when you go home and read books, and listen, I'm not against YouTube. I think there's a right way to use it. You can read books and hear other preachers and talk to other Christians, and all of that can be useful and edifying. It all depends on your motive. I want, I have this faith It's most holy, and now I want to build on that. So everything that comes from this faith, it needs to be in line with that foundation. It needs to be in line with the whole goal. What's what's my faith all about? Does it match up with this belief system that we have in Jesus Christ? Peter said it like this, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So just a quick question. This This can help you determine if you're creepy. Since the day you got saved until now, how much have you added to your faith? Because I hear people say this, well, you know, in church, we shouldn't be talking about things that divide us. We shouldn't be arguing about this and that point of Christianity. Let's just talk about Jesus. I'm all for talking about Jesus. I'd love to talk about Jesus all the time. But did you know that Jesus didn't talk about Jesus all the time? There is a time and a place to address other things and give the people of God all the counsel of God. We've got to add to your faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness. Right? All of that needs to be added. Brother Ron Sykes, before he passed away, he was very fond of saying this. He said, I do not want to be just saved. There's so many people. I had a guy in discipleship once. We went through the lesson on baptism. We got to the end of it. He said, he said, Pastor, can you still go to heaven even if you're not baptized? I said, well, yes, you'll just get there dry. And he said, oh, but I will still get to heaven? I said, if, if you're born again, yes, sir. 
He said, that's all I needed to know. That was the last time he ever attended discipleship. That's creepy. That's creepy. You're supposed to build on that holy faith. You don't want to be just saved. In verse 20, something else. Praying in the Holy Ghost. This will prevent you from falling into the trap, into the air of the wicked, and becoming creepy. Praying in the Holy Ghost. This is not praying in tongues. Please don't misread this. This is not habara shabara habara shabara It has nothing to do with your bow ties. That never happened in the Bible. Not one time did that ever happen in the Bible. Praying in the Holy Ghost has nothing to do with that. Praying, now hear this, this is simple. Praying in the Spirit is the opposite of praying in the flesh. Alright, so what did James say? Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. You're doing it wrong. You're asking wrong. That ye may consume it upon your lusts. You know what, where most people turn when they pray, or let's say what they pray about, it's all carnal stuff. That's all they pray about. God, help me with my job. Help me to find a job. Help me with my studies so that I can get a job. Help me find a spouse. Why? This is you. It's stuff that you want. It may not even be sinful stuff or bad stuff, but it's all about you. It's just you, carnal. God, fulfill all my wishes and dreams as if God is some ATM in the sky. That is the opposite of praying in the Holy Ghost. I heard a story just recently. A couple went into a church they had never been in. They sat down, big church. And the first thing they did before even the, the smoke and the song started, you know, and the flashing lights, before any of that started, they said, okay, let's pray. And the guy started praying and saying, God, please tell the people to give lots of money. Oh, God, tell them to give lots of money. And they, started, they kept on and kept on. And as they progressed, they said, if they don't have money, God, tell them to give their watches. Thinking, rightfully so, the person who told me the story said, that, that was it. That got creepy, and out they went. <laughs> Something's not right. When you're, when you're at the church and that's all you're praying, that, that's where you start your service? That's creepy. That's, that's, not what, that's not why Jesus saved you. That's not why you have a church. Not to put that kind of emphasis on it. Praying in the Holy Ghost, what does it sound like? Something like this. Not my will, but thine be done. That, that's praying. That's something you would say if you're praying in the Spirit. I, I'll tell you another one. I got a thorn in my flesh. Lord, this hurts. Please take it out. Oh, the answer is no. Praise the Lord. I'll, I will rejoice in my infirmity because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So if this will help me be a better Christian, then thank you for the thorn. You don't say that when you're praying in the flesh. Your flesh doesn't say, thank you, thank you for a thorn. Your flesh says, get it out. And it's okay to say, please remove it. But if you're praying in the Spirit, you are ready to let God give you whatever answer He sees fit. And you can be thankful for that. Do you see how praying in the Holy Spirit will prevent you from falling into the traps of that creepiness? Because all the time, what you're concerned about in your prayer closet, listen to this, you want the Holy Spirit to guide that divine conversation, not your flesh. Step into the prayer closet next time, close the door, talk to your father in secret and say this, Father, what would you like to talk about today? The father already knows what you have need of, so your side of the conversation is pretty much done. <laughs> Just step in and say, you already know 
Lord, what would you like to talk about today? That would be praying in the Holy Ghost. Let's look at something else in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, how can Jude say this? Didn't Paul say that nothing can separate us from the love of God? How many of you remember that? Been reading your Bible. Remember that? Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So then why would Jude say, keep yourselves in it? Do I have a choice? If I'm saved, I can't get out of it. And nothing can separate me from it. So how are we to understand this? When you read through the Bible, you'll see that there are three different, and forgive me, the semantics of this, maybe I could word it better, but three different ways that God can manifest His love. Maybe you can think of it as three different levels to God's love. Now, God's love is His love, but it can be manifested in different ways. Three categories. God loves His foes, His enemies. In this sense, He loves the whole world. Remember this verse? God so loved the world. Does God love everybody? Yes. Does He love His enemies? Yes. What did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Three verses later, he said, Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's not saying be sinless. He's saying the Father in heaven loves everybody, so you should also love everybody. You don't love everybody the same way. You don't show that love the same way to your enemy compared to maybe your family member, but you should love them. So doesn't it say God makes it to rain on the just and on the unjust? Okay. So, so God can be merciful, loving, patient with everybody. The greatest manifestation of God's universal love is the cross. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So the whole world has access to the love of God, but through the cross. Does that make sense? Okay, so everybody has that. But if you get born again, you get a different manifestation of His love. Listen, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Did Jesus only die for the church? Does he only love the church? No, he loved the world. He died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. But when you get saved, you are his child. It says, Beloved, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. So as a family member, you get a different manifestation of God's love. But... I want you to see this, please. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And forgive me, I'll, I'll try to move quickly through these last few points. But I believe this, this is a point worth making here. John 14 verse 21. So there's the love that God has for His foes, the love for His family, but then there's the love for His friends. There's the, a special kind of manifestation, if you will, that he shows to his friends. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I commanded you. Jesus, or the Bible rather, says this, God loves a cheerful giver. But, but God loves the world. Yes, but he loves a cheerful giver in a different way. Look at John 14, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. Well, he already loved him. But he gets, he gets a special kind. Keep reading. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Jesus doesn't do this for every single human being. 
Who does he do it for? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. I have no control over God loving his enemies. I have no control over how God loves his family. God loves his children. He loves his bride, the church. That's up to God. You know where I do have control? I can keep myself in this part of God's love. I can be obedient. And when I'm obedient, I experience a closeness, a fellowship that doesn't exist with a disobedient child of God. So when Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God, he's aiming at that highest level, that faithful obedience, that friendly obedience. And that's something that you and I have to keep ourselves in. Come back to the book of Jude, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope you remember this from last week, unto eternal life. Every time you see the phrase looking for in the New Testament, outside of one, every other time you see it, and it's I think about a dozen times, it's always talking about looking for Jesus to come back. Every time. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What's eternal life? Not just living forever. What is eternal life? Having a personal relationship with God. You know what hinders that? You still have a sinful nature. You know what this means? I need mercy each and every day. So let me, let me bring this into my sermon now. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You need to be obedient. Some people will go around saying, it doesn't matter what you do, God will always love you. This is true, but on, in which way do you want to be loved? You can be blessed or beaten. The Lord, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. So you can get that side of God's love if you want. So yes, he'll always love you, but it gets a bit creepy. It makes, they make you think, it doesn't matter what I do, God's always going to treat me nice. God might manifest his love with a pox law. And this creepy Christianity will come in and say, you know what, if you just say this, and if you just pray like that, and if you just have, you know, put this amount of money in the plate, you're going to have complete victory in the Christian life. Brother, sister, let me tell you, the Christian life is going to be a battle until the day the trumpet sounds. You have a, you have a fallen nature in you, you have a fleshly nature, and you're going to struggle with that, and it's going to hinder your relationship with God. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other. That will not stop until you die or the trumpet sounds. So each and every day, what are we looking for? Lord, until you show up, please, I need help. I need mercy. I don't have it all figured out. I can't just come to the altar, have some man put his hand on me, hoppada, hoppada, bam! Oh, now I have complete victory. No, you don't. You're going to wake up tomorrow probably with more problems than you had before the altar call. Because you thought, I got it all straightened out just at one trip to the altar. No, you didn't. You know when we're finally going to enjoy unhindered uh, fellowship with the Lord? When Jesus comes. And that final act of mercy, we get clothed with a new body. And forever and ever, I get to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can be. Praise God, never to sin again. That's why he says, unto eternal life. I need God's help every day until God completely changes me so I can be like him.
And then lastly, verses, uh, verse 21, uh, forgive me, 22 and 23. It says, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So I've given you six things. This is number seven. These are things that will prevent you from being creepy. Be a soul winner. Be a soul winner. Try to win people to Christ by giving them the gospel. Now look at this in verse 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. What does it mean to make a difference? I have to differentiate between these two groups. Some people, when I give them the gospel, I need to show compassion along with it because that's what they need. But I know that not everybody is going to need that kind of help. There's another category where I still preach the same gospel, but here I'm going to be a bit more straight and blunt and save them with fear and say, buddy, if you don't get saved real soon, you're going to end up in hell. And just be straight to the point. This other guy, I have a different approach. So we have to make a difference between what this guy needs and what that guy needs. Either way, I want to win that soul to Jesus Christ. I want to give them the gospel. It is creepy for somebody to say, I'm saved, but I don't want to approach other people and try to tell them to be saved. Something's wrong. Something's drastically wrong with the Christianity that you don't want to share. Something's wrong with that, and it's creepy. You know what I found? The people that creep in unawares and want to give you this other gospel and change the grace of God, you know where, you know where they evangelize? They don't evangelize the lost. They evangelize the saved. Yes, sir. They come into churches and start trying to talk everybody out of their salvation. Oh, are you saved? Yeah, I received Jesus Christ here and this is what happened and God's changed my life. Oh, but did you do this? Have you had this happen? Have you experienced this and this? Oh, but then you're not really saved. They don't evangelize the lost. They come in and try to evangelize the saved. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing trying to draw away disciples after yourself. Hey, Mr. Creep, I'm talking to you. You can just leave my sheep alone because bless God, the Lord gave me a rod and a staff and it's going to comfort the sheep in here. Because I'll come around to the wolves and whack them on the head. (laughs) Amen. I want to be a soul winning church. I want you to have that mindset of God, whatever I need to do to reach the lost. Lord, show me. I want to be all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. Right? If you have that mindset... Lord, how can I minister to this person? That'll keep you from being that creepy Christian. Look at the end of verse 23. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I've said this for years, and I'll continue to say it. A person who is a soul winner, will autom- that automatically will change every other part of your Christian life. You will start being more mindful of how you live and try to live a more holy life because you know that your conduct affects the testimony of the gospel. So you're going to try to keep yourself clean, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, so that you represent Jesus Christ properly. This will keep you from being creepy. And then we finish up what we've read earlier in verse 24. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless 
before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. He says He's able to keep us from falling. So I'm circling back to this point because I want to remind you. I know that we went through a list here. There's seven things that we can do to keep ourselves from being creepy. It can protect us from the creeps coming in so that we recognize them when, they, when they're here. But we also know we can't do this under our own power. Despite how much effort we put into it, how much studying we do, how much reading we do, praying we do, we need the Lord's grace and mercy consistently. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing this, at any moment, the devil's walking about seeking whom he may devour. We don't want to be taken up by creepy Christianity. We want to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and keep pressing towards that mark. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take a few minutes just to think about this. Pianist will come. and Give you a moment just to think and pray. I gave you a lot of information today. Perhaps one or two or a few of these points spoke to your heart. Things that you might want to improve on. Reconsider. You know what I found? That sometimes people have good intentions. They don't realize they're getting creepy. And honestly, it's this kind of sermon that might just bring to your attention, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not doing everything he listed off there. I'm not making a great effort at that. It's a little difficult to give an invitation after a sermon like this. I, I understand that. So I'm just going to give you a moment to try to listen to the Lord. I tried to do that this week in preparing this sermon. Every now and again, you've got to preach something like this. Every now and again, you've got to say it. And the reason I say it is because people will creep in. If you need to pray, the altar is open. You're welcome to come. Today I've preached to a, a saved crowd. That's what the sermon was meant for. But if you're here today and you've never been born again, I'd love to invite you to chat afterwards. Help you get that straightened out. I think every now and again you need a sermon like this just to push you forward a little bit. Just to remind you how serious it is.
Church can't be all hugs and kisses. Sometimes you got to come with a rod. Some of you, you know that verse. You, you remember that from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. You remember that? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know why they comfort you? Because he'll knock the wolves away from you. And if you get out of line, he'll knock you. <laughs> and praise God for that. Because I want to stay in line. That's mercy. That's merciful. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your long-suffering and patience with us. Lord, we want to do it right. We, we don't want to be creepy. We want to understand the real you. Understand your purpose for us. We want to pray in line with that. We want to live in line with that. We want to be concerned for others in line with your concerns for them. And Father, we look for the day when Jesus splits open the skies and calls us home and our relationship forever then permanently fixed. Thank you, Father, no matter what we face in the days to come, your grace is sufficient and you can keep us from falling. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father, to do our part now. Father, thank you for the time this morning. I pray you bring us back ready to hear more this evening. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, folks. Thank you for your time this morning. Lord willing, we'll see